Good morning. We, uh, we're trekking along here in our 40 days of prayer. This is uh, day 18. And today we're continuing in the theme, this week's theme of petitions as a part of our prayer life. But, but what do we pray? What do we pray for? Uh, we're given the permission of Jesus to ask he delegates to us authority to bring the kingdom through our asking. And so today, um, the devotional for today is actually, you know, rather convicting because it's it's praying for the needs of of people in a way who who are marginalized, who are in, in needs uh, that are rather often dire, or desperate. Um and the text for today is really the 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 story of the good samaritan and um i was reading a a sermon that that was very convicting to me and i wanted to share some of the insights from this message um the road to jericho that's where the the story of the Good Samaritan is said, the road to Jericho is steep and dangerous. Uh, so dangerous, in fact, that people have called it the bloody way. Jerusalem rests at 3,000 feet above sea level, while Jericho, only 17 miles away, sits on land 1,000 feet below the level of the Mediterranean. The road between the towns descends sharply through mountainous territory full of crags and caves, allowing thieves to hide, strike, and escape with great ease. Traveling the road, the Jericho Road, in those days was much like walking through a dark alley in the worst part of a modern city, except that it was many miles to the nearest streetlight. So this Jericho Road is dangerous because bandits could hide and jump out at you and take everything that you own, but also hurt you physically. But that's not really the reason that as we study this passage that the road is so dangerous. It's really what the Lord Jesus has to say about our hearts. And he tests our hearts in this to the very core and his question is so strong. It's, will you, you know, will we love our neighbors, our neighbor as ourselves, or will we just love ourselves? And and this is this is convicting when it comes to petitions. If you you look at the number of petitions or requests, applications that you make, do they reflect that you love your neighbor as yourself, or do they reflect that you just love yourself? Do we spend our time in prayer only on ourselves? And are we open and sensitive to where God is bringing people into our life uh, and using circumstances to prepare us for good works? Uh, this interruption, in a way, that takes place on the Jericho Road could happen in in your life, it could happen at home when your your spouse or your children demand that you be more attentive or that you meet their needs in, 
at the expense, perhaps, of your own. It could happen in your neighborhood when someone has a need, a catastrophic need. Uh, it could happen just in line at ShopRite or Target or Walmart when you, you know, when you see somebody in need. Um, lately, for me, it's been a new experience living in Nyack in the last, this past year. Because Lisa and I walk in the village uh, as much as we possibly can. And Nyack has many homeless people. And the homeless people that we run into, uh, they don't they don't feel like safe people. You know, they there's either there's either a, a mental uh, illness or there might be drugs involved or different things, and uh, often they're talking to themselves or you know they're saying something to you that makes no sense whatsoever, and so. It, it's a challenge to live in this world and to hear Jesus's admonition uh, to love our neighbor as ourself, to learn to walk in a way not like the priest who's in the story who passes on the other side or the Levite religious person who passes on the other side, shielding themselves in isolation which is easy to do. It's easy to shield our eyes, pass by, not concerning ourselves. So here's Jesus giving an example of pouring out oneself in loving service to another. Now, the, the context of the Good Samaritan story is an interaction that Jesus had with a religious uh, leader who was an expert on the, the law of God. And he says to Jesus, he in, he, in Luke 10, 25, he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus answers him and says, Well, you're you know, basically saying you're an expert in the law of God. What does the law have to say? And he said, How do you read the law? in such a way to to be a person worthy of eternal life and and the law the lawyer answered love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself and jesus said you had you have answered correctly do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus well and who is my neighbor Notice, notice the phraseology here, um, wanting to justify himself. Um, he wanted to, to, to narrow down and to, to say, well, you know, who's my neighbor? And so one of the ways to, to look at this is to say, okay, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And, uh, uh, I I read something. There there are different ways that loving your neighbors yourself is defined, but I read something that 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 convicted me. So, if you think of the love loving your neighbor in the way that Jesus is speaking of, this is uh, 
can be described this way. Love is an affection, a heart movement toward a person. Love always has to come from the heart. And so one way to talk about loving your neighbor as yourself is love is a cheerful sacrifice, cheerful sacrifice for the benefit of another person and for the glory of God. So love is a cheerful sacrifice for the benefit of another person and for the glory of God. Now this this description is is coming out of of the application of Jesus' teaching on the Good Samaritan. So there's a cheerful sacrifice that benefits another person and it glorifies God. So, so this cheerfulness comes from not hating the person you're helping, but actually having an affection for that person. This is what makes the action cheerful. But the sacrifice piece is that in doing something for them, you're giving them something valuable and you're doing it willingly. This could be your time, your energy, your money. It could be yourself, your presence. So presence is often one of the greatest gifts we can give to people because it's our attention. It's, it's, it's uh, sharing with them our giftedness, sharing with them, opening up to them our personality. And the Bible makes it really clear that without sacrifice, there really is no love. The more sacrifice there is, the greater the love. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Again, this is, this is why this description is both convicting but very clarifying. Love is a cheerful sacrifice for the benefit of another person and for the glory of God. So real love results in beneficial action, some action in the world, something that is actually done that helps the person. I, just to take a minute on this, sometimes I see people say, well, I did that because I love you. You know, I did that out of love for you. But, but what they did was not beneficial to the person because it really wasn't about loving the person. It was about doing what, you know, doing what the giver wanted. Sometimes parents do that. Well, I did that as a sacrifice for you. And you're like, but it didn't benefit me. So if it's a if it's a true sacrifice for another person, it has to actually benefit that person. So in some ways, what we're talking about is that the heart, when you love your neighbor as yourself, the heart has to be involved. There has to be an attachment, an attraction, an affection. But also, whatever service is rendered has to be beneficial to the person and not just not just so I feel good about myself or because I, I give you what I want, but I'm not giving you what you need. And so you see this you see this so clearly in the scriptures, and this I mean this is one of the things that that's so clear in this passage is Jesus is saying, Look at how I love. Look at how I serve. In Mark 1, there was a man with uh, leprosy who came and just said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was filled with compassion. And he reached out his hand and he said, I am willing. 
and he touched him and he was clean. Now, this is an amazing thing is that in, in terms of the law, if, if a, lep, a leper touches you, you become unclean. But if Jesus touches the leper, the leprosy does not make Jesus unclean, but Jesus makes the leper clean. It, it is amazing how love changes everything and how the power of Jesus and the healing power of Jesus changes everything. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32, you notice he, he's, it's the affection of the heart and it leads to beneficial action. Jesus called his disciples to him. He says, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And so he feeds the 5,000. Out of his cheerful affection, out of his cheerful sacrifice for them, there's benefit to them. And I think that what strikes me in this is how interruptible Jesus is. And I think one of the biggest challenges that I, I face, maybe I'm alone in this, but one of the biggest challenges is is I have a schedule, I have a plan for the day, I have agendas, I have things to be met. And and one of the biggest challenges of loving your neighbor is giving up your own agenda. Um you notice in the if you notice in the story of the Good Samaritan, there's an agenda for the priest. And to help the hurting person would, would mess up his whole day. Same with the Levite. In order for the Good Samaritan to be the Good Samaritan, he had to interrupt himself. And he had to have his day interrupted. Um, look how interruptible Jesus is. In Matthew 8, a centurion comes to him in Capernaum and says, Help my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus drops everything and says, I will go and heal him. In Mark 5, when one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus dropped everything and went with him. In Matthew 20, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now the crowd rebuked these two blind men, said, Be quiet, but instead they shouted all the louder, Jesus, Son of Mer uh, David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight. And followed him. Jesus said, is, is basically giving us this, this picture that when you love your neighbor, you're interruptible. But he also makes clear, as yourself. Um, I've heard people say something, well, before you can love others, you have to love, you know, you have to love yourself. And I, I think, you know, there's truth to that, obviously. But that's not actually the approach of that commandment. The approach of the commandment is saying that, that in some ways, maybe not in healthy ways, but in some ways, every single person loves themselves in a way 
that can be an example of how to love your neighbors. Uh, in, in, in Ephesians 5, it talks about husbands, you ought to love your wives as your own body, as you love your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. He says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it. So in, in a sense, what Jesus is saying, what the law of God is saying when it says love your neighbor as yourself, it's saying every act of kindness or comfort that you would show to your own body, all of this is evidence that you understand how to care and love yourself. So in, 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 some, time, in some ways, what, what all of us do naturally is we consistently think of our own preferences, our goals, our pleasures, our desires, our aspirations. We think about how to meet our own physical needs, food, warmth, relief of pain, sleep, thirst. What, what is the law saying? What is, what is love your neighbor as self? Well, it says in the same way that you care for yourself, the Bible saying you see to the needs of others as if they were your own. That's why it's so convicting. Each of you... Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, every single person, even apart from Christ, is fanatical about their own interests. But what Paul is saying is the Christian now has, because of the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ, the security of eternal life and relationship, right relationship with God, is that we can actually have the margin to take on the interest of others. So instead of looking out for number one, we start looking out for the interest of others, loving them as we love ourselves. So this is, this, is, this is not just in terms of individuals, in terms of people that you love already, but it, the neighbor aspect says it goes beyond your family. It goes beyond your close friends. And it begins to say, what needs can I meet in a beneficial way because I am in Christ and because Christ is in me? As a matter of fact, uh, one of the theologians that I read quite often is Miroslav Volf. He said, there is something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you are unwilling to resolve. Part of a good prayer life is aligning our thoughts and desires with the heart of God. While you and I may not have a Jericho Road experience like the Good Samaritan, we can begin to see others as God does, and we can intercede spiritually, materially, and physically on their behalf. So the story of the Good Samaritan frames how we look at everybody outside of ourselves, but it also frames how we look at people outside of our of our inner circle. Because the idea here is Jesus is describing who is the, our neighbor. And it's a, it's a fascinating look because there, there are five different people in this story. So there's a victim and we know nothing about him. There, I, I've always assumed that Jesus is telling the story and everybody would assume that he was Jewish, but he doesn't really mention his race. He doesn't talk about his age. He doesn't talk about anything having to do with his socioeconomic status. So in a way, Jesus leaves this ambiguous that the victim who is assaulted on the Jericho, dangerous Jericho Road could be anybody. 
But what we do see is, is that there, there are robbers and we live in a world that is dangerous. Uh, anything that we have could be taken from us. There are people who live outside of the law. There are people who, who see themselves, you know, uh, as, as having a right or ability or whatever it is to take from us. Uh, I remember um, one of the scams uh, that happened to us was that we thought our bank was calling us. The number on, that it had was the number on the back of our credit card. Somebody had gotten a hold of Lisa's, um, uh, uh, at least in some way, the data from Lisa's ATM card. And before we knew it, while they were on the phone with us, they had transferred uh, thousand. The, we had $5,000 in our, our savings account. They transferred it to our checking account and they went and cashed two checks in Ohio uh, emptying out $5,000 from our account. And I was feeling duped by that phone call because it looked like it really was our bank. And then seeing that money drained out of our account so quickly made us feel incredibly vulnerable. Stupid. It made us feel stupid. made us feel vulnerable. Now the bank gave us, restored the money, uh, it shouldn't have been a way that they could have done what they've done. And we put safeguards on our accounts and all kind of stuff like that. But that feeling of being robbed, of being violated. And so here in the story, there, there, there's a man, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, but he's on a dangerous road in a dangerous world. And there are robbers there and there are people who are willing to abuse you, betray you. There are people who are willing to hurt you. So the robber, in a way, says, what's yours is mine, and I can take it from you. And then the priest and the Levite, in a sense, if you look at it, here are two religious people, and, and they're isolating and they're separating, and basically they're saying, look, what's yours is yours. You take care of yourself. What's mine is mine. I don't want to get involved. I don't, want, I don't want to bloody my hands. I don't want to dirty my hands. And, and so they stay on the other side of the road from the man who's had everything taken from him. And, and they'd rather be willfully ignorant of, of his needs, even though they call themselves spiritual people, even though they would say they're dedicated and devoted to God. And, and they're unwilling to be interrupted by the need that's right there staring them in the face. Now, the, the third person in this is, an, uh, maybe this is the fourth one, I'm not sure. You could just call it the fourth, I guess. So the fourth person in this is the innkeeper. And the innkeeper does provide a beneficial service, but not a sacrifice. And basically what he says is this, what my, what's mine is yours for a price. See, he will give anything he has as long as you pay for it. He'll get involved, but to his benefit, not necessarily, you know, to the benefit of the person. And then there's the fifth person that Jesus says, and that's the Good Samaritan. And he says, what's mine is yours if you need it. 
You know, Jesus specifically chooses a Samaritan because it would have been so jarring to anyone listening. Um, it's as if to say, if it were a Samaritan lying there, you should take care of him. But notice how far the Samaritan goes in caring for this unknown man. He's probably Jewish again. And so he stops his life and he invests fully in the healing of this man. He gives of his time. He even spends the whole night caring for this person. This man's well-being becomes the focus of the Good Samaritan. He gives his money, paying silver coins to the innkeeper, and he promises to come back, and if there are any additional costs for the care, he will cover it. So then Jesus ends this story, and he says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You can tell, he can't say the Samaritan, he can't put the word Samaritan into his mouth. The one who had mercy on him. He couldn't deny the point of the story, but he also couldn't say the Samaritan. But Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so as we look at, at this story, one, number one, it's, it's incredibly convicting. But two, it, it should point, there is a, there is a, a piece here where we, we can't miss this. You cannot achieve eternal life by, keep, by trying to keep the law. Because here, here's a, a priest and a Levite. They utterly fail, even though they're utterly devoted to the law. Here is somebody outside of what the religion would say was a person included, the Samaritan. He's the one fulfilling the law better than those who are, the, who are devout to the law. But the, the truth is, if we're, if we're honest and we go, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, we are utterly, we're utter, utterly devastated because we don't do it. We can't. So what is, what is Jesus ultimately saying here? He's ultimately saying you need someone to come from the outside who will see your brokenness, who will see your desperateness, who will see that you're, you, you need something that you can't provide for yourself, that you can't justify yourself, even like this expert of the law. And so in a way, Jesus is that good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who comes and pays the price. Jesus is the one who comes and fulfills the law. Jesus is the one who sits up with us all night, who says, whatever price needs to pay, be paid, I have paid. See, the problem with so many people is they want to look at the Good Samaritan and say, okay, here's the example. Now, I mean, it is the example, but it's an example that crushes us. Because even if you do it a little better than me, you have not done it well enough to inherit eternal life. But Jesus has done it perfectly. He left his home in heaven. He saw us all laying by the side of the road. And he gave his very life so that we could be healed, we could be free, and we could live, and we could live eternally. So on the one hand, I do take the conviction to love my neighbor as myself and to pray and to, to work in this way. But I don't do it to earn eternal life. I do it because I have eternal life. 
because I have it in Christ, because I've received not a justification of myself, but a true justification where I'm in right standing with the Lord. And from this position of security and safety, and from this position of being loved by the Father as if I were Christ, then I have access to Jesus's compassion and love, to Jesus' ability to be interrupted for the sake of those who are lying beside the road, just like the Good Samaritan did.